from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey, everybody. 68. Episode 68. I'm getting hand signals from uh, my defensive coordinator. (laughs) Nice. Welcome, everyone. I hope you're uh, all enjoying this deep freeze we're currently having. Um, hey, we have a little bit of a, a shake-up here tonight. Jason, our producer, is... Not producing. He's observing. I am. It feels wonderful. Josh, the intern, is producing. So. In the driver's seat. Now I have another monitor slaved to the uh, to the recording computer so I can see all the, all the flub-ups. And uh, in place of Jack Harley, who's still recovering from what I did to his car the other night, <laughs> post-grotto, um, <laughs> Tim Dedman is filling in for Jack. And, of course, Larry's here. Larry's, Larry's here. You have to wake him up. And our guest, Brother Jim Stevens. Welcome. Hello, everyone. What did you do to Jack's car? <laughs> um, so we met at a brewery. Right. And they don't have any normal liquor. Right. So yeah, it has to be Pennsylvania-based, and I don't like microbrews. So I, right, okay. I asked for a whiskey and Coke. Sounds like shot and bottle. Well, they don't have whiskey. They didn't have whiskey. All they had was like this cheap Pennsylvania rail rum. <laughs> and exactly. I guess I started drinking doubles, seeing triple, and then they didn't have... Um, oh, the food was awful. It was like vegan chili and vegan sausages. So... Needless to say, uh, I drank more than I ate and uh, made the correct decision not to drive home. Oh, good. But, you know, Jack's in- interior might have taken a hit. Oh, no. What, Just the a, door. But a lesson well learned for anyone planning Masonic uh, food events, don't go with the vegan menu. Uh, get a bunch of men in a room and feed them a bunch of vegan stuff. They. Uh, it doesn't soak up the alcohol the way that like no, the carbs do. No, not at all. And, and grease. Uh, we had reports of intestinal issues from several members the next day. So yours was coming out your mouth and oh, man. others were coming out elsewhere. I'm sorry I asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, does anybody have anything uh, monumental Masonically that happened the past couple of weeks they'd like to? Jason, no? Thought we were gonna talk, we weren't going to talk about Well, that. we're not going to like go into the minutia of like, oh, we had goose and gridiron breakfast again. <laughs> No, it's been a it's been a quiet start. I I don't remember where we were at the last recording, but uh, if we didn't talk about it first, first meeting as junior warden went fine. Uh, that's really that's really it. But it's been a quiet month. Um, work has been busy, but that's about it. My first meeting is Grand Tall Cedar. The Supreme Tall Cedar decides to show up to my first meeting, mm. which was fun. I'll get that out of the way. Yeah, so I got all my mistakes out of the way with the big cheese present. Alrighty, so oh, you, didn't, uh, you didn't make Josh say hi. Hey, Josh, say hi. Hello. <laughs> he's probably got the best radio voice when he's not talking. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Cigar Lodge got snowed out, so we were pushing that on our last uh, episode, and uh, it got uh, 
snowed out, unfortunately. Get, get closer to the mic. But February, February is uh, on, and we'll talk about that later. Or move it closer to your mouth. All righty. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk to Brother Jim Stevens, who is the author of Lodge Business, the theoretical application of entrepreneurial business practices to Blue Lodge. There you had to go to the whole title. You know, Tim, Tim asked in our private Facebook group, What's the, what's the title of Jim's book? And I started typing it, and I was like, shoot, I don't remember this. That's why, <laughs> so, I went I, so I found the Amazon link and just posted it in the page. All right, so we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about how to use uh, business principles to make our lodges run better. The Red Serpent by Larry Maris. One man's obsession to avenge the death of his wife uncovers a long-hidden, ancient blueprint to perfect the world for future generations. Visit www.larrymaris.com. You can purchase this book anywhere, except CVS. Welcome back. We have, uh, as Pete said earlier, our guest tonight is Jim Stevens, James Stevens, and the publisher and the author of Lodge Business. Jim, tell us a little bit about your book. You know, it's uh, it started. Oh my time, Jim. I'm sorry. Larry has <laughs> never a let a guest speak. A monumental <laughs> moment in uh, Masonic Light podcast history. <laughs> you should be honored. He's actually yes. letting you talk, and I'm going to do the same. Jim, take it away. Thank you. Yeah, it it uh, it started. I don't know how many years ago it it started, but. Uh, I always have these ideas p- bouncing around in my head of, of things that I think need to be said or written and uh, it'll bounce around in the head for quite a while and sometime this it was probably early spring of 2018 I thought there, it's time to write write and uh, so I literally sat down in a matter of, of effectively a weekend and put out 30 or 40 pages of kind of a an outline of what I felt could be done better from operating a lodge, um, budgets, purpose, that kind of stuff. And uh, I sent it out to a couple of trusted brothers and said, am I crazy? Or does this have, am I onto something here? Um, and then the process just kind of kept going. And it, it, it took about four and a half months. Uh, it, it evolved over multiple different generations. Uh, so the book itself, you know, it's a long title, The Theoretical Application. Um, you know, it's not a secret that, that I've not been in the East yet, so you can't sit there and say that you practiced this or done it. Um, and even if you were, there's no way that, you know, any one lodge is going to adopt any of the ideas. So I uh, just kind of said, okay, if if I could start from scratch, how would I organize it and uh you know i'm a huge believer in purpose so that was you know in the book i say you know purpose is everything um and let that kind of evolve from there um so i talk about purpose i talk about goal setting i talk about problem solving i talk about um mentorship and leadership not mentorship from the true masonic uh perspective but mentorship from developing leaders um and then uh uh, developing your own leadership and how to prepare for the East. Uh, and uh, I believe it was Brother Harley, Jack, uh, who at one point in time said, 
you really need to put some good practical examples in. So I tried to put, kind of wrapped up the book with some good practical examples in terms of good goals and, and how to set them and how to work through them. Um, but in the end, it's it's intended to be kind of an introduction to all of the topics. Um, the idea being, you know, introduce something new and you can go out and do some more research. I list a number of books in there that, that I have found value. Um, but to kind of wrap that question up, it all comes out of my personal business life. Um, you know, I, I apply all of these applic- all of this stuff in this book uh, in my business life. Um, everything from BHAGs all the way through purpose and goals and troubleshooting and Eisenhower boxes and all that kind of stuff I use in business. And it's been very successful. Um, and I believe to my core that it can be successful in Lodge as well. And it's not a sin to think of Lodge as a business. Well, I noticed you wrote it like a business person, not like a an author that you know can't get to the point. Right. You get right to the point in the first chapter, um, and the first chapter is core purpose, and you really kind of like I never never thought of that. Like, what is the purpose of the Masonic Lodge? And, and it's, it's different. Everybody. Uh, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, the district uh, district one here in Lancaster. Um, had their officers meeting and, and the district deputy asked me to take a couple minutes and I started that session with the, the, the masters that were in the room and saying, you know, what is your lodge's core purpose? You know, what is your purpose? And I let the officers for each lodge kind of on their own come up with that. And they had some really great stuff, um, but everybody had different opinions, which you would expect. Um, but one of the things that I like to kind of, and I emphasize in the book is it's not good enough just to kind of have the, uh, you know, our purpose is education or our purpose is, you know, that's almost too broad. Um, you know, on the last episode, you guys were talking about, you know, kind of what you wanted the, the, uh, podcast to be. And while it's not necessarily purpose, it's more like goals. And you were talking about additional listeners and that kind of stuff. Well, that needs to be numerically defined. What is additional? Um, and then the, obviously the idea of the BHAG is that would be, we want to be at, you know, 50,000 listeners by 2020. And then you start working back from that in terms of how to get there. Um, but that's where I think a lot of people have, uh, fall down with the purpose is they come up with this, you know, we make good men better and, and the stuff that you generally hear, but then it doesn't go anywhere. So let's back up just a hair. Cause Larry dropped the ball and didn't, didn't. <clears throat> give a lead-in of, of your credentials. And I know you mentioned, obviously I know, you know, you mentioned you're not worship master or have not been in the East. However, uh, you know, I, I think that we should talk about your bio just briefly. Uh, Masonic scholar for the Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Yep. Right? Just recently got your Hogarth's HGA. Technically speaking, waiting for the third, my level third paper to be graded, but... It's sitting there. Former yes. Lodge Secretary? Former, Former Lodge, Lodge Secretary. secretary. Yeah, 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 I did that backwards. I, I'm following in Jason's footsteps. Do I'm following secre- in yours. Do secretary first and then go into the chairs. And then professionally, you are CEO of a large commercial construction company here in Lancaster, probably the biggest. Yeah, it's it's part of a conglomerate. The conglomerate will do about $1.8 billion this year in, in annual revenue. Um, I'm president of one of the parts of that conglomerate, and we'll do... 30 million in revenue this year in my group. Um, president, not CEO. President, yes. Right. Um, and I'm the managing partner. There's two partners that have the company. 
Um, and like I said, in that business, uh, all of the principles that are in this book, I, I apply on a daily basis. Um, we live and breathe them. So I really feel strongly behind them. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, something that comes out of air. And as you said, uh, Pete, as you said, you know, I wrote it as a businessman. I mean, that's, that is in the end what I am, you know. Well, you're also a glutton for punishment because not only do you take on all this Masonic stuff, you're also on the uh, planning commission for the Mannheim Township. I do sit on the planning commission. You know, you so were you get people you were yelling at you. Meeting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What the, the the weird part about serving in any civic body like that, whether it be a school board or a, a town commission or planning, people only show up when they're angry at you. They never show up when they're very happy with you, and so. You know, you have to do the business of the of the township, but you know, some nights it's a blessing that there's nobody in the room because you know that you haven't upset anybody at least in the last couple of weeks. One of the things that um, I found interesting, and it actually came at the end of your book where you gave the recommended reading list, was how you tied in many of the common readings that people who work in this world of strategic planning or goal setting, uh, seven habits of highly effective people, good to great, how to win friends and influence people, and so on. Um, many of the themes from those books are included with yours. And um, uh, I, as, as someone who has worked in a world where those learnings were very important, it made it very easy for me um, as, for example, lodge secretary and past master in my lodge, uh, to see the connections mm. to those areas. And uh, I found that uh, very, very helpful in, in terms of reading it. It was important to me to write it from the perspective of one of the best things about this fraternity is anybody can become master. And, and the reality of it is, even though I, I, I talk about master, there's plenty of leadership positions in um, Lodge that, that aren't the master, you know, and this book would help them all. Um, but there's a lot of people who this might be their only opportunity in life to lead. And that's part of the magic of the fraternity is anybody can do that. And so I wanted to write a book that really would help them at least start to get their toe in a couple of things, give them some ideas. If they hit some bumps in the road, be able to kind of have a reference point and then, you know, list some books that they can go in deeper if they want to. Um, you know, I said in the book, that uh, you know, I had a, a wise gentleman a number of years ago talk about how many masters come in and they have no leadership experience and they'll spend nine months just figuring out what they're supposed to be doing. And by the time they figure it out, they might have a month before they're effectively a lame duck and out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we really do need to accelerate that process for them. That we, we a year isn't enough if you're spending nine months of it just learning the job exactly and i'm thinking back to a few episodes ago when you had the uh, grandmaster in here and he was talking about how uh he and the deputy grandmaster and the other officers uh had committed to each other uh to continue the types of things that uh were being brought into place and it falls again right in line with the uh, kind of the principles of, of your book you can't do this in just a year it's got to be a look at while you may not be able to look at a 10-year plan we should easily be able to look at a three to five year plan should be able to look at a three to five year plan and and there's two parts to that because if you uh, are not having a couple of good series of years in a row uh, you're repeating too much but you also have the possibility of undoing it and then there's a whole wasted year because, or two, because you have one year undoing, you know, the other. Uh, 
I used to manage electrical contracting company, and we used to have a joke that the first shift spends four hours working and four hours messing up the second shift. And the second shift spends four hours fixing what the first shift did wrong, and then it's four hours of working. Um, if you don't have good coordination in those lines, you'll end up, you can end up with the same thing. The, the next master undoes what the previous master does, and, and you lose a whole series of years. Explain to our listeners and those people who are going to be buying the book and those people who have read the book, explain the acronym BHAG. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, the idea behind it, and uh, I'm not going to remember now the author. You might, you'll probably remember the Stephen author. Stephen Tracy? No. No. Hawking? It, it's in there. It's you're, in there. You're so scanning through it. Yeah. Um, names, places, faces, dates are always a problem for me. I never remember that kind of stuff. But the idea is you want to set a goal, and not a small goal, a very big goal that in the business world, ideally it would be 10, 15 years out, and you have maybe a 70% likelihood of, of succeeding. Um, and the idea is to create such an inertial push that it moves the, the organization. So even if you miss it, you still have verifiable success. Um, some of the more famous BHAGs, the moonshot by Kennedy is probably the most talked about. You know, he knew that even if they didn't get there by the end of the decade, the advances from science and the advances in, in you know, space science and all that kind of stuff would propel the, the country forward. And it, it acts as a unifying force behind not only the organization, but in that case, the nation. Um, at work right now, we have a BHAG that it's a sales-oriented BHAG. It's, it's for 2025. And it's to be a, a top 10 ranked dealer um, by 2025. And to be there, we would need to grow somewhere between 20 25% a year. Um, last year, it was year one of our BHAG, and we were at 107% of goal. Um, it, per, it unifies the entire organization and directs them forward into doing stuff. It was actually uh, Jim Collins in, in Built to Last, so... There you go. Thank there you. you. Go. I yeah. appreciate you looking that up. I, once I looked it up, I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Uh, the, I think the key, though, is you set this overarching BHAG without limits. In yes. other words, if, if you didn't have to worry about other obstacles, what in, in your wildest dreams, what could you achieve? And then the idea is to have that sta be a couple of, you know, ye obviously years out. And then that creates, you know, in the age of GPSs, that's where you're going. That's, the, that's where you're going. But you need turn-by-turn -turn directions. So then you take each of the next several years and say, okay, well, here's what we have to do each of the several years to get there. Um, I, one of the examples in the book, I talk about, you know, a lodge who's decided that their BHAG is they really want to more or less master the seven liberal arts. So they, that lodge, that plan that's ex in the example in the book is each year they take one of the seven and that's the year. They're going to teach it. They're going to talk about it. They're going to discuss it. And, you know, they know that if they do that after seven years, you know, they're going to have gotten there. That's not quite a numerical example, but that's the idea is you have this big theme that you want to accomplish and it provides everybody the, the direction. And now once you have that direction, you break it down into manageable segments. In our case, because of the way most of the lodges work, a year works. Um, but it doesn't have to be a year. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you successfully point out in the book is that each lodge is different from every other lodge. As it should be. Yeah, as it should be. But yet, 
we as Freemasons think in a big collective picture. And when it comes to our lodge, we have a hard time differentiating our lodge and the big picture of Freemasonry. Well, one of the things that happens from any organization that is as old as ours is, is you get to a kind of a stagnation and you have trouble defi- defining yourselves. And, and I talk about in the book, you know, the, the growing portions, whether it be AMD or, or tr- uh, traditional observance lodges, those types of things, um, the newness provides that energy. But when you have a lodge that's 200, 250, 300, 500 years old, you get an inertia that, that uh, takes hold. And then your identity starts to form around that inertia. So the Grand Lodge starts to really have influence in that, um, as you know, as it should, um, and it kind of forms the identity for you. Um, but we all also have to remember, and you know, the Grand Lodge, all the Grand Lodges were formed out of the existing subordinate lodges at the time the Grand Lodge existed. You know, it's it's the Blue Lodge that is Freemasonry. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, I know there's a lot of right worshipful people who are going to not like this statement, but the reality of it is, it's the Blue Lodge. Right. You know, I'm a libertarian by, by love. You know, the power exists at the smallest unit possible and then is granted, not the other way around. Well, Larry's begging for a break. We'll take a quick break and come back with uh, author Jim Stevens. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market. And a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. And we're back uh, with Jim Stevens, the author of Lodge Business, The Theoretical Application of Entrepreneurial Business Practices to Blue Lodge. And uh, before the break, we were talking uh, generally about the purpose uh, portion of the book. Um, The various sections of the book, I think, fit very well with the way Blue Lodges are structured. There's a section uh, that we spent some time at our last episode talking about a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You touched on the senior leadership team. Uh, meetings. Uh, obviously, finances are a big part of Blue Lodge. But uh, as a lodge secretary, one of the sections that I found most interesting uh, in terms of looking toward the future was the documenting of processes uh, as well as tracking results, which I think those kind of go hand in hand as well. And talk a little bit about that and how that can apply to our Blue Lodges. Well, in business, 
you know the old the old saying, and I, I say it in the in the book, and then I actually say, you know, this isn't this isn't completely true, but you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth tracking. Um, you know, there's some partial truth to that, but it's not fully true. Um, but there's plenty of numerical metrics in Freemasonry that have meaning to us, or may have meaning to us, and by tracking something or providing a measurable, um, that's how you determine that success along the road towards the BHAG. Um, if you're setting a goal, you know, in the Blue Lodge, maybe five years is, is an appropriate kind of outside goal. Um, and you know, five years is a long time. Um, so if you don't have road markers and, and, uh, ways to say, yeah, we're on this, this path, uh, you can very quickly get off. And so that's where measurables come in. Um, so I give a couple examples in the book, like, you know, if you're, if your purpose of your lodge is to make a Mason in purest of simplicity, we're going to make Masons. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to make 25 a year. Okay. Now you've got a measurable, you can define it, but that's not enough of a goal because 25, how do you make them? Well, if you were in business, that's essentially your sale. Okay. And if you're tracking your sales, you're not going to know how to generate them. So you back up a step and say, well, how do we get them? Okay, well, we have open houses. We have other stuff. So we need to start tracking petitions and interest and start kind of using those numerics to decide what's successful and what's not. You know, you guys on the podcast have talked a number of times about events that are no longer success, um, fundraisers that cost more than it raises. You know, well, if you're not tracking the numbers and and looking at them from an objective perspective, that's what happens. Um, and while it's difficult, there's a politic behind killing something that isn't working. At least you have data that justifies the decision. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, needing five CPAs and six accountants to, to be able to, to track it. Keep it as simple as you possibly can. Um, and then the other side of that is, you know, tracking the processes and, you know, I don't know how all lodges work. I know at, at lodge 43, my home lodge, uh, we have an officer's manual. Um, and that has a lot of what each of the positions is supposed to do. It gets updated on occasion and it is, it is handy. Um, but the operation of the lodge really isn't kind of to a point what needs to be documented. It's the stuff that you're going to be doing. So again, if you're doing, um, our purpose is to make a mason. Those are the processes you need to understand and decide what is important to that and what isn't. So if your purpose is to make a mason, then maybe some of the other stuff that you may be doing in lodge, pancake breakfasts and that kind of stuff, all right, that might bring a mason in. You keep that. But reading the minutes, that doesn't help you make a mason. So that helps kind of differentiate those things that maybe you're spending too much effort on and losing some brothers over. Um, so there's, uh, there's a minimum requirement that the Grand Lodge will say you have to do. But then after that, your purpose then defines your processes and your processes help you determine what it is that you should be doing. Um, and it helps provide that guidance. And then once you have all of that figured out, then it provides the ability to train and bring the next group of leaders in because now you have a document that you can base those conversations on um, and go and go from it. I am not a believer in like the ISO 9002 where everything has to be documented down to, you know, the sharpness of the pencil for the report that you're filling in. That, that's not what I'm advocating. You take the most important things to you and make sure you understand that process. 
I use an example in the book about the application. So it's can be it becomes very obvious that if you ask, especially an older mason, what the process to apply to the lodge is, you're going to get different opinions. But the reality of it is there's only one process. And so if it's documented and discussed, then everybody understands that. And you won't get different opinions. You might even lose some brothers because one person thought the process was this way and it didn't happen that way and, and the guy disappeared. So it helps get everybody on the same page. Yeah. And I have to look at it from a much more practical standpoint even of – Anyone who served in more than one Masonic body in a leadership role has probably experienced the fact that you come into that office and your predecessor basically goes, here are the keys, have fun. <laughs> um, and so you really don't know uh, going into that leadership position exactly what do I need to be doing. Um, I had a great group of past masters that worked with me uh, when I was in the East. But on day one, it's like you think you know what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Uh, but you, there, there's really no, here are the things you need to do in January. Here, by April, you need to make sure these things are done. And I think that from a practical standpoint, documenting the processes, even within leadership positions, uh, more than, you know, when you're junior warden, you've got to learn this degree, and senior warden, you've got to know this degree, and so on and so forth. So right. I found it on a much more practical yeah, aspect. It's, it's, and again, the, you know, the book is on lodge business, so it's not about ritual and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the stuff that it takes to run the organization. Um, simple stuff, like, you know, uh, Lodge 43 just completed its, its annual audit, and the Grand Lodge Pennsylvania has a new process in place. So last year, it was brand new. Everybody kind of fumbled through it. We got through it again this year. Now we're ready to sit down, and, and the, the chairman is, is working through so that the next chairman, the next committee next year has this list. Here's the process now with this new, with this new system of how you work through it because there's, there's no guidelines at all. You know? and, and there's hours wasted by volunteers because it's not provided to them. So, Jim, you, you wrote the book that it could be used, to, you know, from what I see, any lodge, any state, any jurisdiction, and I was even thinking it'd be really good for some of the appendant bodies that, have, that can turn a little quicker than a, than a blue lodge. Sure. Um, but what, are there anything, like when you, have you, from talking about this with other people like us and, and, and other readers, have you learned anything that you maybe didn't think about when you were writing it? Like, is there, are there certain goals you didn't try to prejudice and say these are goals you need to have. No, no. Because every lodge is a little decision, bit different. Absolutely. But are there any, like, some that, that showed up more than, than um, others that you really... I have not yet got, gotten a sense of uh, what would be a common theme. Like, everybody is saying, I read your book, and, and we've decided we need to do this. Okay? And I didn't really expect that. In fact, I hoped that everybody would take something different out of it. Um, that being said, the copy that's in front of me says not for resale. This was my, uh, 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 what do you call it, pre-published review. And I've started to take notes in the back of things that have come up that if I do another version or I write another part that I want to be able to kind of expand on. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff that, that I've written through the book, too, is um, I don't really go into how to make, say, a goal smart, which would be specific, measurable, ac uh, uh actionable, um, uh, relative and timely. 
Um, and, and so I need to expand some more of the details on that. And that has already become very clear. Because, you know, one of the things I hear every Masonic officer and every group always talking about is the we need more members. We need more, 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 more. And, and, and I obviously I go always go against the grain. I'm like, well, we don't just need we need a more a higher percentage participating. I, you know, so to me, my measurable goal that I would like to see is instead of 10% participation, 40% or something like that, where, but I mean, the number crunchers, like the secretaries and the treasurers, you need to have more members because you need more dues. I want more doers. Mm -hmm. Well, and that essence goes back to the whole, you know, the, the first part of the book about purpose. And what I was trying to get to is... If that's what you identify with, then you need to find a lodge and an organization, you know, and a body, whether it be a pennant body or a lodge, that matches up to that, what you want to do, you know. Um, you know, even here within Lancaster County, there's small lodges and there's large lodges, you know. Um, now, from an appendant body, you brought up appendant bodies, you're right. I, I think a lot of the appendant bodies probably have a little easier time turning the ship making changes, but they also gain something else. And that is they, generally speaking, have already some sort of theme to their purpose. You know, whether it be Grotto or, or Tall Cedars or Scottish Rite or, or the Arch or any of those, there's already a, bet, a little better defined purpose for that, okay? There's usually one of the two, whether it be uh, fellowship and charity or, or something, ritual and charity, it's not as broad as the as the blue lodges are, and so I think that helps them. It, it gives them a little leg forward. The other thing that helps them, to be honest with you, is most of the people, at least as I understand it, that are leading them have already been in the east, so they already have some leadership experience. And now you know they've got some. They practiced, so to speak, in the blue lodge, and now they're off into an independent body, doing what they learned from the blue lodge. Yeah, maybe we could get people to do it backwards, like. Yeah. Go through the appendant body lines, make the mistakes there, and then run the Blue Lodge well. I actually served as high priest and chapter the year before I served as master in my lodge, and it was a tremendous help. I imagine Mainly it be. because it was a much smaller body, as you said, a much more focused body, um, and any jitters that anyone might have had in terms of actually running a meeting, um, it's a whole lot less uh, stuffy, shall we say. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been in front of and in charge of a number of nonprofits, charities. Uh, I serve on a search and rescue team uh, for almost 18 years now, and I was chief of that. Um, and one of the things that I always talk to, especially new officers coming into search and rescue, is you never know what it's like to be chief until you're the person where the buck stops. You know, and any practice you can get on that and being prepared to be the man. Um, the better off you're going to be. I think we're going to take another break so we can wake Larry up. Um, he just kind of nodded off over there. But uh, Breaking news, Larry is still alive. Oh, no, what, he what, is still what, alive. Once we're glad again, for that. Before we do take that break, we're, we're with Jim Stevens tonight. Uh, lodge business, theoretical application of entrepreneurial <laughs> business practices for the Blue Lodge. I love how all now, of you have to read wait, that to get yeah, it. <laughs> It's really important. You can buy this book at Amazon.com. Yes. You can get it in the print version, which is $11, or 
or you can get it in Kindle for five ninety nine. Yes, and you can go to you can get it on Google Books, or you can go to any fine bookstore, your favorite bookstore. And if they don't have it, they'll order it for you. So and if Larry again. doesn't lock his Honda Fit, it's usually in the back deck. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so wait, we'll be right that, back. Is, wait, is, is that true, Jim? Can you get it in any bookstore? Any it, bookstore? It is. It is priced through Amazon that any bookstore can order it. And and are able to supply it. I yeah. am not aware that any have done so yet, but it is it is established through Amazon. So publishing yeah, to be so able to do that. so we may need when we come back, we might need to ask you about the whole process for when we write our uh, podcasting book. Right? <laughs> I'll, I'll be more than happy to walk you through it. It was great. <laughs> Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. From planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back so we're here with james stevens and lodge business blah 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 because i don't have a book in front of me very good <laughs> so, uh which you can purchase on amazon.com of course but it is time to uh talk about our advertisers and our sponsors so big shout out to historic smith and inn and weathered vineyards george grove and son and dns cigars so jack's not here tim are you ready to do the news uh, no news, but I also wanted to thank our Patreons, uh, who yeah, yeah. also support the podcast. Dan and Jason. Dan and Jason. Dan and Jason. Well, as well as Jason. our, uh, what do we call the yellow people on the wall? I don't know, but I want to know why my yellow sticky is in pencil and everybody else is in, in marker. Oh. <laughs> I think we just filled that in today because we no, knew you were coming. No, I, I was, that was here when Jack wrote it. It was oh, a while okay. ago. Yeah, I don't know. I have a whole stack of them here that have fallen off. <laughs> I was wondering where they were. Yeah, so, I'll just read some random ones. Ben Kaminsky, um, George Grove, Jason Brewster, Ken Hudson, Dave Augustine, um, and um, I can't pronounce that guy's name is Russian. So there we go. Nice. And you can find Masonic Light Podcast on Patreon. And what uh, what levels do we have? A dollar, five dollars, one, five, and thirteen. Nice. There you go. All right. So let's come back with Jim. Right. No, we're going no, to go to Michelle Snyder because we're, we're, we're going to do this whole thing weird. Right, exactly. We're going to listen to Michelle Snyder and possibly Jack will phone in some news. And then we'll come back and wrap up with Jim. Sounds wonderful. The 12 Dancing Princesses Unlocked. This folktale was recorded by the Grimms Brothers and is sometimes called the Worn Out Dancing Shoes. With the right key, we can learn much from this lovely story. But first, you may ask, why unlock fairy tales? Once upon a time, stories are the greatest love stories ever told. Love of mother for child, 
of brother for sister, of the hero and maiden for each other. They tell us of epic struggles and the conquering power of good. They are layered with history as they migrate and change with the cultures that tell them. Not only do these wonder tales share ancient ethics and cultural traditions, they are fractured records of prehistoric knowledge. Reading the stars and foretelling the seasons was critical to survival during the Ice Ages and facilitated defense and trade on the seas. Although in our time knowledge of astronomy and the zodiac may be common, one secret buried in oral tradition is how old this knowledge really is. The story of the twelve princesses holds such a treasure. Twelve beautiful princesses sleep in twelve beds in the same room with doors securely locked. Each morning their shoes look as though they had been dancing all night. The king, desperate to discover what is going on, offers a great prize to the one who finds out the truth. Several princes try and fail, but then a soldier tricks the twelve girls and follows them through a trap door, then into twelve boats, down a river, to a castle where the princesses dance all night with twelve princes. The soldier retrieves a branch from each of three trees he passes, one of silver, one of gold, and one of diamonds, and then finds a golden cup, which he gives the king as proof. This is a wonderfully enchanting story filled with symbols and allegory. With roots in astronomical knowledge going back 77,000 years, this tale tells of keeping secrets, represented by the mysteriously worn-out shoes, and getting to know the twelve zodiacal constellations the princes they dance with. Together, the princes and princesses make 24 the number of hours in a day. Time is symbolized by the movement of the river and the boats. The 24 characters dance with the mathematics necessary to measure time using the stars. The expression, the dance of the planets, refers to the intricate movement of the wandering spheres against the backdrop of the never-changing stars. The music to which they dance alludes to Pythagorean concept of the music of the spheres, a theory as to the creation of matter and harmony of vibration. The golden cup alludes to the sun or the grail. The precious branches symbolize the value of gaining such knowledge. Next time we will find another part of our golden key in Archetypes Unlocked. And we're back with Jim Stevens. Uh, Jim, the last two sections of the book I wanted to get your comments on are perhaps two that we do the poorest as okay. an organization, in my opinion. And that's evaluation um, and uh, developing talent. Uh, so many times in our blue lodges, it's literally well, just we evaluate it by eye contact, isn't exact, that, is that? Well, how that's it, works? it. I mean, that seems to be our standard. So, uh, talk about how we might use the principles uh, from your book in both evaluating uh, what we're working toward our purpose and the, toward those goals, as well as the never-ending challenge that we all face, which is developing future talent. Well, I mean, I think it starts. You know, Pete has said it. Uh, I don't know on how many episodes at this point, but you know. Asking is step one, you know, um, but, you know, that that kind of starts to be the test. Identifying that talent, uh, you know, is, is hard before the, the request, so to speak. Um, but the, the in business, the way I would do it with, with, say, new employees that might have management potential, that kind of thing, is I would give them small tasks, little things. Don't go big. You're, you're going to, they're going to fail and you don't want to be setting them up for failure. 
Um, you know, so don't give them the pancake breakfast to be in charge of it. You know, um, give them uh, syrup, something, just syrup, syrup. Yeah. Butter. Give them, <laughs> give them something small, see how they do with it. Um, and then over, if you have time over the course of a number of those small things, you'll start to see, um, ability. Uh, recently I had uh, a, master, a past master tell me that in his opinion, there's two types of worship masters. There's either an administrator or there's a ritualist. Um, and I think there's probably some truth behind that, but everybody has different leadership styles and different talents. So your job as the leader of the lodge is to identify who has those talents. Um, you know, my example, personally, you know, I am not the person you're going to ask to go out and cold call non-dues members, uh, you know, cold call uh, different stuff. I, I'm not that person. Um, but if you need to plan an event, you know, I, I'm I'm good at planning. And uh, so you start to use those little tasks that you're going to give the, the, the potential leader to start to help them understand what their abilities are, and you start to understand it. And then you advance that. So instead of it being syrup, next time it's plates. I mean, you make it a little harder every time, a little more responsibility, and that gives them the ability to grow into it. One of the greatest parts of Freemasonry from a, a leadership position is the progressive chairs. Um, you know, there's a lot of lodges obviously struggling to get people and, and, and to fill the chairs. But the the... the the progressive chairs, if truly progressive, gives everybody a little more responsibility, a little something else each year that they then can grow into. Um, but advancing somebody all the way to, say, junior warden, you're skipping that entire development process. Um, so it takes time to do that. One of the things, when we, uh, Tim and I were at the um, DNS Cigars, uh, one of our sponsors, we were there today, and talking to one of our uh, brothers, Brian Smith, and... Brian is a, uh, a nurse at the hospital and busy work schedule. And he also um, is a part-time dad. I guess he gets his daughter every other weekend or something like that. So Brian cares. Brian really wants to be a good Mason and he's got a lot of leadership things, but there is no way in his life right now he could ever, at least by the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania, you need to, if you're in those, in those officer chairs, it's like six nights a month, maybe mm -hmm. seven nights a month. Yes. So, you know, how, how to get men like that to be valued? Because there's some things that I'm sure he could do. Like running the lodge, like business-wise, he could get a lot of stuff done, but he would never be able to work through the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania structure of learning all the degrees and... So he'll never be a master, even though he might be a good per good leader. I think one of the things that, that Freemasonry gets wrong, um, I, you know, you guys talk about apron sniffing and past everythings and that kind of stuff. And and it, it, there is, to a point, a lack of respect given people who don't have that PM after their name. Um, but every organization, every position in that organization has equal value. Uh, there is nobody, especially in Freemasonry, we're all meeting on the, the, the level. And, um, you know, I talk about in Search and Rescue, you know, yeah, I've been chief. I'm usually the, plans, the, the plan uh, chief. I'm the one who's telling people where to go look. That, that's my trained job. But that doesn't make me any more or less important than the guy who's sitting at the front desk signing people in or the person that's preparing the hot coffee when they come back from the search, or the per person that actually finds the missing person. There's a job for everybody. 
There's a job for every talent. There's a job for every skill. There's a job for every, every disability, everything. And so I would encourage a master that has, you know, the likes of him in a lodge to find what that is. Okay, so he works nights, for example. He can't come to lodge, but he could do the breakfast. He could help at the pancake breakfast. He could organize the pancake breakfast. Let's say he does really want to go to the east, okay? And we obviously, especially here in Pennsylvania, we have ritual requirements and, and all kinds of other requirements. There is still no reason why, it, it just off the top of my head, he couldn't, let's say, pair up with another brother who would help him on a lot of the places, stuff that he just can't get to. And we should be helping each other anyway. So, you know, he's going to have to meet the minimum requirements. But a lot of the other stuff that he may not have time as a master, he can get a partner. That could be his junior warden or senior warden or could be a past master. Um, and I talk about that in the book about the different chairs, you know, helping each other. But, you know, that's what it takes to make a good team is you find – the, the talents and abilities of each of them and fit them together. Um, so I, I would encourage, you know, the master of, of that lodge to reach out to him and, and find that place. Cause there is a place, there is a place in that lodge that he can act as a leader and might even be able to get to the East, even with the busy work schedule that he has. So in our, and before we took our last break, we were talking about the processes that you yes. went through in writing your book and, uh, I know we have some uh, uh, authors in our midst. Or Larry's an author. Some, he some he sold eight copies of The Red Serpent. On on four different planets, though. Well, I mean, more than that. Okay. All right. <laughs> more than four planets or more than eight books? <laughs> so that was, books. So how difficult was it to write a, a book through using uh, Amazon, or how does all that work? So the process that, that I went through, um, I, first of all, I used a professional editing service uh, twice, um, the first one was on uh, what would be essentially content editing. They gave me suggestions in places that they felt like sh was short on, on stuff I needed to fill in. Um, and then when I got to the final, final version, I had them do a full you know, editorial review, grammatical, spelling, that kind of stuff. Um, and I would say to any author you know, it's worth its, its money and gold. Uh, you know, the opinions that you're going to get from these people that, and you can Google them. There's a number of good uh, services out there. Uh, the one that I used was, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, you can use any one you want um, without giving anybody free advertising. Um, the, uh, uh, you're going to get great ideas. These people read books all the time and the, it, it's worth its money. Um, Amazon itself, uh, you know, Amazon runs the world. There's no doubt about it. Um, and they've made it amazingly easy to public, to self publish. Um, they give you templates, uh, the picture that's the cover of the, the hard covered book I took myself. It's, it's my blue lodge. Um, you can put up your own pictures. They can give you the format. There's about a dozen to two dozen different layouts. Um, and you get to pick the paper you want and the, the sizing. There's tutorials, walks right through it. Really simple to, to get it published and done. And the beauty of the Amazon system is you don't prepay for any of it. So it's printed on demand. So you're not paying for an inventory. If you go to a publishing house, they're going to require a certain number of books be published or you have to buy them or that kind of stuff. When I did it, I chose to have the book available outside the Amazon system, as we said earlier in the episode. So 
if one of the publishing houses want to pick it up or something, they can order it through Amazon just like a supplier would. Um, that adds some cost structure to it, but the cost structure I found to be very, very reasonable. The one downside I did not like is the templates that they have, and I'm assuming it's because of the way Kindle works, but the templates they have for the Kindles, I couldn't get the same cover. So if you look at the Kindle version, it's a different cover. Um, but other than that, it was amazingly simple. So Larry, you can get that second book out now. Yes, I can. <laughs> you guys couldn't hear the, the, the bitterness in that, in that stare. <laughs> the process uh, is easy. The getting the several hundred pages may not be. Yeah, my, I, I can't remember the size of my first, but uh, it, was, it was close to 400. Yeah. And I went through exactly the same thing you did with the concept editor and the editor to uh, make sure the grammar was white and the French was perfect and stuff like that. So, yeah, it had to go to the same thing. Available day. in French? We designed a cover, which was a little bit different. Oh, okay. We did a, we did a cover, and it was picked up in Kindle. And Unfortunately, those French. editors leaked it to Dan Brown, who right. stole your idea. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. Well, that was just yeah. a, they were just a cover. That's right. Yeah. Damn Dan Brown. <laughs> Oh, Jim, thank you so much. We appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. Um, welcome back anytime. Again, Lodge Business by James Stevens, Amazon, Google, or any fine bookstore. And folks, we're going to try and talk Jim into uh, doing some little clips for us in the future. We'll see if that pans out. Jason. Yes, sir. We all should wrap this thing up. Let's go home. What, uh, anything up? We got a plug for the uh, district or for the world? Uh, I know in March we have uh, Academy of Masonic Knowledge, and I don't know the date. I'm a terrible person, and uh, the internet is terrible down here. So, well, but it, it's typically the, the fourth weekend in uh, TG. I, I, I you would think as a scholar I would know, but the only thing I know is I'm out of town. I think it's the weekend of St. Patrick's Day because that's the weekend I'm out of town. Hmm. Well, you know what? Check the show notes. Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge. You can come in the flesh, or you can watch it online. on YouTube. Yeah, you can yeah. watch and stream it online. I can tell you that for Tall Cedars, the fourth Tuesday in February is our Master Mason Seafood Night. Mm. So any Master Masons, welcome to come out. Um, or if you're uh, Jason's doing a great job, Jason's uh, losing weight, so he's not able to eat 18 pounds of seafood and butter. I can eat 18 pounds of, of seafood, just uh, not, not the butter. The butter. And, yeah, and not the deep fried seafood. No. But um, if you want, you can come at 7 p.m. if you want to miss the dinner and just get your yellow dog degree. Correct. So it's casual dress. Just come on out. Uh, we may have a keg of cedar sap on available. And uh, I can't drink know. that either. Well, yeah, I can. I'll be <laughs> your designated drinker. <laughs> nice. But no riding in my car. <laughs> On uh, February the 17th is the next meeting of the Cigar Lodge up at Cigars International in Hamburg. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the previous one was uh, snowed out, so there will likely be big attendance at this one. And uh, encourage any cigar smokers in the group to come out and have a good time. All righty. Uh, Larry, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we ask Jim if he has anything going on? Well, Jim, do you have, anything going, you have any more speaking engagements? Any, uh, any uh, more podcasts? There's a couple speaking engagements, but, uh, you know... They're, they're coming and going. It's good. Any inside information on the uh, the mega church that's going to be built across from my house? No. No, I can't. No. Uh, not, not in this forum. See, uh, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. I got to try. Who's, who is it? Victory that's coming? Yeah. Right. Banjos. Wake chickens. him up quick. Somebody hit him. Uh, fine. 
This is going to be a short close tonight. Just want to bring up the fact that Masonic Light Podcast Gala, the Roger Kipling Dinner. At the Gala. Gala? Gala. Gala, Gala, whatever. Gala, Gala. There's no G in it. Potatoes, potatoes. no J in it. Okay. Again, the dinner will be at Media Heights Country Club Saturday evening, April the 27th, 2019. It's going to be a fantastic night with great entertainment, lots of fun. And plan on being there. You can you can you can actually make reservations now for the dinner through Eventbrite. Yeah, just go to MasonicLight.com and yep, exactly. There's a link. If we're there. Uh, you know, come on, let's go. We want to make this thing successful. The proceeds to this dinner help keep us on the air. So help us come out and have a great night. Gonna we're going to do a uh, live show that evening. And it'll be black tie, dark suit. Bring your wives. Bring your girlfriends. Whatever. Probably not a good idea to bring both. True. Not at all. That's all I have. This is Larry Maris saying good night, good day. You forgot to mention our editor, Tyrone Shoelaces. Oh, oh, man. Oh. Okay, yeah. special thanks to our Josh the Intern producer uh, for doing a great show. Thanks for Jason for being overseeing him, you know. Doing a great job. Uh, and also to our marketing director, Tim Dedman, for sitting in for Jack Hartley, our guest, Jim Stevens. Thank you for having me. Uh, Pete Ruggieri, our production manager, our executive producer. You guys need like plaques on the table or something. Yeah. No, we actually need a script, is what we need. <laughs> yeah, There's a concept. And again, we thank uh, Lodge 665 in Ephraim uh, for providing uh, Studio 665. We do appreciate everything you guys ever done for us like a benediction for a big dinner (laughs) again Masonic Light Podcast Gala Gala Gula whatever everybody Masonic Light Gulag Uh, (laughs) everybody have a good night thank you Jim this is Pete saying goodbye good night goodbye everybody goodbye ciao You've been listening to the Masonic Light Podcast with brothers Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, Jason Lewis, Jack Harley, and me, your dulcet-toned announcer, Brian Hill. Listen to all our episodes on our website, www.masoniclight.com, or via your favorite podcasting service.